This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or be on blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. I hate to be sit there and be one of those people and say, oh, you know, well, you know, gastric sleeves now changed my life and I, I can still eat crap with the best of them. It's a real mental game, but it's allowed me the tools to be able to make those choices. Yeah. And make better choices around... Is it is it just that your body can't physically... T- like, you can't jam as much food as possible into your gob anymore? Like, is it just that? Or is it... Like, is that is that what creates a psych... Like, the thought it's, process? Well, uh, it's a bit of both. It's You physically can't actually jam it in. Um, depending on what it is that you eat, I can't eat things that are high in sugar anymore because they just go straight through me. Yeah. And that's not a fun experience for anybody. Um, but it's also... I, I have watched so many women go through this process all for the different reasons. And I've been at the beginning and judged, judged the early ones being like, oh, you didn't really try hard enough or whatever. Yeah. Where This for me was the last resort. It was either have this surgery and get some results or I might not be here in 12 months. Podcast. We are closing in on the All Elusive episode number 50. Uh, we've had a tick over 12,000 listens, nearly 12,000, uh, over 12,300 now, which is um, it's really, really heartening to have that many people listening. Uh, just for the record, Adam's my name, and uh, welcome to the podcast. As I said, uh, it, it it's really interesting to know that we get listened to all over the world, and we have a, a couple of places where we're listened to pretty consistently. Um, and I'd love to know who these people are, but if you, whoever it is that's listening in Dallas, Texas, thank you so much. I get the biggest thrill to know that someone's listening in Dallas, Texas. Um, just to know that someone's listening in Tech, Texas is like this mythological place. You know, it's kind of you know, there's that the, the saying it's everything's bigger in Texas. I probably did the accent really bad then. Sorry, Texas, <laughs> but. But I love the fact that we have all these fantastic listeners in Texas and also, but all over the world, where you know the UK, Canada, um, all through Asia, uh, South America, we have some listeners in. We're getting some really interesting um, listens there. Paris, France, which is really cool as well. Uh, so again, to the person that listens in Paris on a regular basis, uh, thank you so much. And all the Bristol people as well. And of course, most importantly, all of the people that are listening here at home, we have uh, great listeners all over Australia. Um, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra. Um, it's really amazing, to, again, to just see people listening across the whole country and, and to know that you know thousands of people have listened to our show and, and hopefully taken something out of the thing, content you hear. You know, this is an episode where we talk about mental health and, and, we, and we do often talk about some quite serious subjects, but we also talk about... And we want to focus on how people are recovering uh, from their mental health conditions and how they're managing their mental health and their mental health conditions. 
uh, moving forward. And, and hopefully people can listen to this and feel a couple of things. Number one, feel connected, feel like you're not on your own, feel like, you know, someone else out there, um, or, you know, gets you. Uh, but also, and most importantly, um, hopefully get some, some ideas for things that you can do to manage your own mental health and well-being. Uh, so, with all of that being said, uh, this episode's guest is my very, very good friend, Cara. I've known Cara for pretty close to 10 years now. Um, we work together. Quite a few of the people that are on the podcast are ex-workmates of mine. Shay that was on our last episode was as well. Um, we worked together a, a few years back now and and connected on a whole range of levels, with very similar senses of humour, very similar outlooks on the world, uh, a mutual love of all things superhero, um, and still remember being at work and excitedly watching the the Batman versus Superman trailer, um, the Dawn of Justice trailer, the final one with her, um, which was you know just bizarre. It's not something you should do in a workplace. Not something two grown adults should do, but. Um, so Cara's always been really interesting, and, and for me, Cara's always been very open about um, her mental health and her, her um, how she's managed her mental health conditions over the years. And probably about 12 months ago, when we really started to get serious about this, uh, how you go make stuff, when we started to do the podcast and we were doing, we really amped up the, the online content, Cara was a fantastic supporter of ours, and I've always appreciated that. And she really embraced this whole concept this whole idea and and I'm 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 really happy and proud to know that something that we did also hopefully helped her to to kind of go and look at her own mental health and examine it a bit more um I, I think the last 12 months and I, it's not just us like I'm not going to sit there and go that we've done everything and, and changed this person's life we, we haven't at all um but I, I know in the last 12 months she's really done quite a lot of uh examination of her mental health and how she manages that men- her mental health so it's been really interesting to see her progress and to hear have this conversation and we actually sort of talked about talking probably eight eight or nine months ago and she wasn't ready um we talk a little bit about weight and and how you weight influences your mental health um and also uh, the complexities of um, anxiety and things that uh, you know and she talks about some stuff in, in this that actually, you know, that I didn't know about that, that was quite shocking to me. Um, but Barb and I had a discussion around weight loss and mental health a, a while back. And, and again, um, Cara sort of got in contact with us at the time and let us know that she was um, watching what we were doing. And I and again asked her if she was interested in coming onto the show and she said, no, it's probably still a bit too soon. So uh, ultimately we got her to come on, which was really cool. But it's always really nice to talk to someone that you know really well, um, but also equally nice that we can learn things about her that, or, or them, but particularly in this case, Cara, that, that we didn't know before. So um, I'm really interested, I was really excited to have this conversation. I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you. Um, this is one of my favourites, and uh, with one of my favourite people in the world, um, I do really enjoy sitting and chatting with her and then and we're probably lucky we don't work together anymore because we used to talk far too much but please enjoy this episode and we'll uh like we do with every single guest we're going to ask Cara the uh the simple question Cara it's, it's you're one of the you're my what are you the the white lion if I was a hunter 
How are you going, mate? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> this, is, this is like, okay, you've been on the list for a while. You've I was been in the scope for a while. I was surprised uh, that it, that it took so long, but I figured you were just waiting to get your skills up to this level. Oh, no, I think I, <laughs> <laughs> I had, to, had to bring my A game. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think I asked you a while back, and I think you knocked me back. I think you said, "No, no, not ready yet, not ready." Yet. Oh, yeah, well, probably. There's yeah. been there's been some hurdles in the last twelve months. So. Oh, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, there's always hurdles. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so you, you've listened, you know what this is about, you know what we're doing here. So the opening question is always, what is, what is mental What do you think of when you think of the words mental health? What does mental health mean to you? Um, mental health for me is around understanding your, what makes you tick, what's your limits and, and being really real and honest with yourself, I guess, around how you manage and mitigate those things on a day-to-day basis and being open to the fact that mental health really impacts it, it it's mental health it's not mental illness anymore mm. uh, everybody has mental health um it's whether it's good bad or otherwise and yeah. and what you do to sort of keep that balance and what's neutral for you i've been thinking about it lately i think i've said this a couple of times on the podcast so my dad actually introduced me into the concept of it being injury ah yes so you know physically if you have a trauma you get injured Mm-hmm. And you do whatever you need to do to manage that injury. Mm-hmm. Um, with mental health, you have a trauma and you sustain an injury and you rehab that injury. You yep. do what you need to do to manage that injury. Some injuries hang around for a really long time. Some injuries stop you from doing stuff forever. Yep. Um, some injuries you have to manage your whole life. But it's it's the concept of injury. I like it. I think it's great. I, I like For me, it just went, yep, that makes sense. Absolutely. I, I'm renowned for especially bringing up um, speaking to my family about it and when they say that they're not doing so well or things are tough and relating it back to a physical injury if this was your heart or your stomach you'd go to the doctor you'd take the medication why is your head any different your head actually controls all the rest anyway so invest yeah I always tell the story so Nath who was on the the first recording who was the first person we recorded with um, many moons ago was uh, we were talking about the footy player Kieran Foran and um, Nate at that stage wasn't really dealing with his mental health. So um, there was a post where Kieran Foran said, oh, I'm going to take six weeks off to look after my mental health. And of course I shared that. It was pre even how you going mate or anything like that. I just shared it to show support. And one of the things that, one of the comments Nate left was um, if I went and asked my boss for six weeks off to look after my mental health, he'd tell me to go and look for a new job. Yep. Words to that effect. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about the conversation is, is a couple of years later, Nate had to go to his boss and ask him for four weeks off to look after his mental health. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and so it was this really interesting change in dynamic. Um, but I, I've said at the time, if you guys, if Kieran Fry went in and said, I need to six weeks off to look after my shoulder, nobody blinks an eye. Yeah. Nobody says anything. But because he says, I need to look after my mental health, we all go, hmm, Okay. Or the one I heard recently where somebody said, oh, you know, I hate it when people just get all this time off to go and look after their mental health. They go, you know, oh, I've got to go and look after my mental health and go to work. And, you know, the reply to that was, well, if somebody walked up and said, I've got breast cancer and I need time off for treatment, what would your reply be? Oh, they need treatment. Yeah, go, don't bat like, an eyelid. Yeah, like, you know, That's right. treatment. Okay, cool. Same thing. Yep. Same horse. I've kind of made that a bit of a mantra for me in my professional career too because mm. I'm so invested in process and policy and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and especially when we focus on WHS, 
it, it psychological psychological injury goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. How how do you protect people at work from physical injury and psychological injury and actually psychological injury as a priority because the effects are so far more long lasting. Yeah, yeah. And I've kind of made that a bit of a, a, a pet passion of mine, I guess, to make sure that people are actually honest about their mental health. They might not be able to do it, um, do something about it all the time, but at least have that conversation. Yeah. So the interesting thing for me in this conversation is we've known each other for a long time and I had little glimpses of your story. I know a little bit, enough, enough to kind of go, yeah, I get you. Yep. I get you. What are the parts you reckon I don't know? What are the things that I don't, I don't get about your story? I think probably the bits that you, you probably haven't been as privy to the rawness and the brutal honesty on a day-to-day basis just because our paths haven't crossed. Yeah. So in the last 12 months for me, I've had three attempts at self-harm yeah. um, that has been really hard. And in hindsight, all of those reasons for self-harming seem so frivolous and yeah. um, having a perspective of how the world is now, there's no reason to have those. But um, all of those things, I, they're not necessarily something that I share with everyone all the time. And they might know I'm having a rough time or they might be able to tell from... Uh, conversations or Facebook posts that I'm not probably where I want to be right now, but they're not here when I literally can't move out of the bed because if I do, then I'm going to be looking for a slicing implement. Right. And that makes, that's pretty confronting and that's been confronting for anyone who's been around me sort of in those really crucial periods, especially Jason. Mm. It's been really, it's been tough for them to sort of comprehend I don't understand why your mental health is so poor that you feel that there's no other alternative. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think there's um, there's people out there that will absolutely get it. They'll go, yeah, yeah, man, I've been there. I know what you're doing. Um, and there's people out there that will go, oh, I understand mental health, but I don't get that part of it. Yeah. And then it's just people who will go, nah, can't. Like, yeah. what are you doing? I don't get it at all. Yeah. Um, the slicing thing is really interesting as well, though. For you, what is it? What is it? What does it do? It's like, looking for something. It's actually, it's a pain that you can control. Right. And usually it's a distraction from the noise in my head. So I know you've spoken previously about the noise being like a spa bath. Mm. For me, it's like a white noise. Yeah, Mikey talked about white noise as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a static and it, feel, it, it feels like your brain is racing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's about not being able to redirect in any other way yeah. and... Uh, it's not because you want to inflict the pain, but it's because you know that you can control that. Right. If I if I was to bring a blade across my skin, I know that it would feel like X, Y, Z, and I know to expect that. Yeah. And if I did that, then I'm not focusing on the noise in my head. The other stuff. And what how, that looks like. How long do you reckon it keeps the, how reckon it keeps the noise quiet for? How long do you reckon it goes for? Slicing. Well, the slicing solution's only been something that I've brought on in the last sort of couple of years prior to that uh, my coping mechanism was um, codeine and recreational drugs because that would numb me so that would last as long as I was ingesting the drugs and and the come down that followed that Mm. the slicing um, is a more immediate effect Mm. um, and it allows me to um, function on a day-to-day basis without hangovers or and I I can hide it easier from other people Mm. Is there like an adrenaline rush with that as well? No. Um, like the the pain, the adrenaline associated with that, or is it just a... No, not not really. It's really about the control. It's about 
when I've gotten to that point, I've felt I really can't control anything left. I can't control any, anything. I can't, I can't control my breathing. I can't control whether or not I'm crying. I can't. I don't know which room of the house I want to be in. I feel like I have nothing left that I can sort of get a line of balance. Mm. So it's not so much about adrenaline. It's For me, it's about control. It's mm. about I know that if I do A, I will get B. Mm. And I don't feel like I can get any other result with any other avenue with, um, at that point, it's a bit, I can't, I can't breathe my way through it. I can't follow any of those other mindful tech techniques, mindfulness mm. techniques that mm. I've used in the past. Mm. Um, but the key to it is around trying to be aware of my own mental health and my mindfulness, uh, and my triggers leading up to that so that I don't get to that point yeah. because at that point you're really in crisis management. You're not in stability management. So for you, if you, if you, if you're at a point where you're cutting, you've either the other stuff hasn't worked or you just haven't done it yes and you just uh, it, it, and it's of it, it's both yeah. of quite often it's probably because i haven't done it because i haven't been honest with myself about where i'm really at yeah 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 so for you it's all that's changed in the last 12 months what changed uh like what what happened in the last 12 months that made you go mm, okay need to need to get a bit real with this now to get myself better yeah yeah uh, so the first ep episode I had was in November last year, and that was um, coming down from having just gotten married mm -hmm. and uh, getting past married, getting past being married, and then I was really hoping that we would have a baby. And Jason and I had a really serious conversation about I can't, he's not willing to go down that path until my mental health was good. Yeah, uh, which absolutely made made sense, but it for me it was anticlimactic and I took it as a personal reflection on my, on who I am as a person that I failed mm. and I just couldn't cope. Mm. Um, and on top of all the um, pre-wedding stress that so many women talk about and I thought was all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is all real. You you kind of lead up to that day and then you go, oh, okay, now what, what do I do with my extra 40 hours a week yeah. that I've just spent stressing about this for no reason? <laughs> You know, or stress eating or stress gymming or whatever I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first episode was really confronting. I had a second episode then in February um, and didn't really bounce back from that the way I should have. And then I got to about May and I started to notice there was a pattern of about three or four months where I'd sort of dip down and bounce back up. And yeah. I thought, I've got to get on top of this. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's when I went, right, what is the biggest crux that's consuming me every single day? that's making me feel like I can't get control of my mental health and it came down to my weight. Yeah. That connected directly to my weight. I I was at a point where I, and I've been like this for years and didn't realise how much it was consuming me. I wouldn't ha I wouldn't have milk in my coffee because I was worried about the calories. Mm. Stupid thing. Like I have an espresso shot. You know, I don't care that it, you know, tastes bitter and shit. And shit. Yeah, I'd much rather have a large caramel latte, but I couldn't justify the calories. You know, I've never, I haven't drunk full strength soft drink in about 10 years because yeah. I've trained my body that that's how it is. You know, yeah. I don't eat bread and things like that because it just, it, it literally impacted every single mouthful I'd put into my body because yeah. I was so obsessed with my weight and my physical appearance. Yeah. Uh, so I hit about May in the middle of middle of lockdown and I, and I went to Jason and truth be told, I'd probably been thinking about it subconsciously for a few years and not been honest with myself again. 
um, and said, I'm going to look into bariatric surgery. I'm yeah. going to consider having gastric sleeve surgery to yeah. get this under control and that free up my mental space to be able to actually deal with the issues that are making me make poor food choices yeah. and not motivated to exercise. Yeah, I, I work on the idea, and I'm a, this five-cent psychology here, but I work on the idea that <clears throat> food's an addiction like all of them. You know, yep. um, you take, as you said before, you take a drug to numb and to forget for a while. Alcohol does the same. You know, I, I'm still of the opinion that most of the people, you look at your Facebook feed and most of those people that go, oh, can't wait to have a wine when I get home tonight are actually saying, can't wait to self-medicate my mental health when I get home tonight. It's escapism. Yeah, 100%. Yep. And, and for me, food is the same. Yep. Because let's be honest, hot chips are freaking awesome. Oh. And they the taste amazing. And when you feel shit, there is just nothing better. Yep. Than a good bucket of hot chips with chicken salt. Yep. <laughs> you know. And gravy. And, oh, so there you go. Yeah. This is why we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and that, so to me, it's, a, it's that same addiction stuff. Yep. And, and it's rooted in, you know, dealing with traumas. It's rooted in making yourself feel good because things have made you feel shit. And, you know, I think you have a similar thing that I have as well, though, which is, okay, cool, you love to eat and you put on weight and then you feel crap. And the more crap you feel, the more weight you put on. Yep. <laughs> the more it's weight a vicious you put on, cycle. the more crap you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. The other thing for me too, I guess, around that um, just loving to eat, for me, I, I've discovered it's a real cultural thing. Yeah. So my background's Italian. Yeah. And we had a, a rule growing up, and, yeah. and, and it still sticks today. My grandfather still doesn't cope with it. Um, you have to finish everything on your plate and you must go back for seconds and thirds and fourths. Otherwise, you're offending somebody that yeah. you don't enjoy their cooking. Yeah. And I remember the first meal I had to have with him post-surgery, he wanted to order pizza because he doesn't get to do that very often. I was like, cool, no worries. You order pizza. I'm going to sit here and eat my fruit. And I was quite happy to eat my fruit. I didn't even feel like the pizza. But for him, he was absolutely gobsmacked and just shocked that I didn't want to share the meal with him. He couldn't. It's so ingrained in Italian culture that... I tried to say no to an Italian grandmother once. It didn't end well. It didn't end well. (laughs) (laughs) I have have to warn all of the support staff that go into the home that you have to be prepared to eat, otherwise you can't leave. Yeah. It's just part of the culture. And I grew up under... I mean, my dad still does that too. He still, you know, go back for seconds, thirds, you know, have a healthy appetite. And I always have, but it's around having some moderation. And what's actually better for my health now? I'm actually okay with having one or two pieces of chocolate and letting it go instead of having two litres of ice cream and then wondering why. Look, I had four breakfasts one time. Um, I had a girlfriend who was Croatian many years ago. Similar kind of cultural thing. Yep. You eat, right? Uh, we flew over to visit a grandmother in Perth. Uh, woke up in the morning, just had a bit of toast. Just a bit hungry, had a bit of toast. Get to the airport. We've got a couple of hours of wait. Okay, cool. We'll have something to eat. Okay, Kill still. some time. Yeah. Uh, get on the plane, and it was back in the day when they used to serve food on the plane, serve a meal, so flying to Perth, oh, well, you get breakfast on the mm-hmm. plane. Yep. And then get into Perth, and we arrive at, you know, we leave about 9 o'clock Sydney time, arrive about 9 o'clock Perth time, and, well, her grandmother had made breakfast for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, yep. she, and it wasn't just, you know, some cereal, it was the whole kit and caboodle. Yep. And again... Don't say no, just eat. Yeah. Oh, shit, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, oh, man. Yeah. I think the poor thing is, too, is that it's so conditioned in our society, too, that, I like, I hear that story and I I can honestly say I've done, I've, I know I've done that before. Yeah. You do it out of habit. You do it out of boredom. You don't do it because it's actually for a reason. Yeah. And 
I hate to be sit there and be one of those people and say, oh, you know, well, you know, gastric sleeves now changed my life and I, I can still eat crap with the best of them. It's a real mental game, but it's allowed me the tools to be able to make those choices. Yeah. And make better choices around. Is it is it just that your body can't physically t- like you can't jam as much food as possible into your gob anymore? Like, is it just that, or is it like is that is that what creates a psych- like the thought it's, process? Well, uh, it's a bit of both. It's you physically can't actually jam it in. Um, depending on what it is that you eat, I can't eat things that are high in sugar anymore because they just go straight through me, yeah. and that's not a fun experience for anybody. Um, but it's also I. I have watched so many women go through this process all for the different reasons. And I've been at the beginning and judged, judged the early ones being like, Oh, you didn't really try hard enough or whatever. Where this for me was the last resort. It was either have this surgery and get some results or I might not be here in 12 months. Yeah. And because the surgeon said to me, Oh, you're not that overweight. You know, you haven't got any other medical issues. You could wait a bit, you know, 12 months and have it a bit cheaper. And I went, "I, I might not be here in 12 months. Right. If I've, you know, had three episodes of cutting in the last nine months, I don't want to look at what the next 12 months looks like because I can't get a handle on what felt like a tailspin. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a tool that you physically can't actually put any more in, but I've kind of gotten to the point where I was like, this is the last hurrah. If this doesn't work and I don't give this all of my dedication, mm. what am I doing with my life? What what am I trying to achieve? This has to be a tool that's going to actually work for me. And it's not all the answers. I still have a lot of ex- hard work. And I meet with a psychologist weekly to really work through some of the trauma that I have from, you know, basically my whole life, like everyone else. <laughs> um, There's a queue over there. <laughs> um, so I just start working through, the, working through those things now that I'm in a, a much better headspace. But it gives you the confidence to be able to tackle those traumas. Yeah. And go, yep, okay, I'm going to have a bad day. Um, I, have a, I have a really intensive therapy session next week and my, and my psychologist has said, you know, you need to bring a weighted blanket like it's going to get real. Totally fine. But I know I'm not going to come out of it and go, okay, I'm going to reach for some endorphins in the way of food. Mm. I'll just have my reg- – it's changing the way you think about food on a, such a practical level. Because mm-hmm. I know I can't just reach for chocolate or ice cream or whatever it is that's going to make me hot chips. Yeah. Any of those carby foods, you know, I love me some fresh bread with Nutella on it. Can't do that anymore. So, you know, and chicken just, you know, barbecue chicken just doesn't hit the spot the same way. So no, it's nice, but it's not. It's not a bag of chicken chips. It's really not. No. So you've got. I've. I'm, I'm prepared for it in advance. It's no longer a crutch. Yeah. I have to go right. I'm not going to be okay. What am I going to put in place to protect my mental health after that session? Yeah. Yeah in advance and kind of instead of just falling into it. Yeah. Really it's in my mind it's it's another tool. Like it's a, it's a different tool. Yeah. But it's another tool. It's because what you said then was like okay, well I'm going to do this. What am I going to put in place? And I don't have these other options now because I had the surgery. What am I going to put in place? So really well, I just see it as another tool. Yeah. And that's and that and that's really all it is. And um I've been that judgmental person who has yeah, totes, me too. looked at the sleeve and gone, oh, easy way out. Yeah. How can they do that? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Having lived through you it now. soft option. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really not. It's, it is two weeks, minimum two weeks of prep, you know, yeah. living on shakes, which, yeah. you know, I looked at that and I went, oh, piece of cake. I've done the egg diet. So, you know, 
Yeah, you did some weird shit. I've done. If there's a diet, I've done it. I remember that. You used to come to work with those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it haunts Caitlin as well. The egg, yeah. eggs and grapefruit. So, oh. like, we've done, I've done some crazy things. So, when the, the surgeon Jeez, said... that would have been a fuddle loud room to sit in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or not. Like, after so many days, like, things don't operate the same way. And then you just wait for the end of the week. Take Jeez. some Coloxal and... Bang away you go. Yeah. So, the surgeon said, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, two, two weeks of Optifar shakes. Yeah, yeah, that was piece How of cake. How much did you drop in that, though? Because it, is it... Like, for me, okay, because I've... Talk to a bunch of people that have done this. Yep. And you'd lose a bunch of weight in that two weeks. Was there ever a point where you just went, maybe I won't do the surgery, I'll just stick to the shakes? Nope. You just went, no, nah, I'm just going to. I've been there, done that. I've yeah. done the shakes before. I won't stick to this shit. I'm going to need to have this surgery. The, the thing that got me through going, doing the shakes is because I knew the surgery was at the end. Yeah. Otherwise, living on the shakes day in, day out for the rest of your life to try and drop that weight. And I know that I've done the shakes and then stopped the shakes and the weight just comes straight back on because it's not sustainable. And that was what I was looking for is a sustainable option. Um, So, and that's what the tool that the sleeve's given me. And then afterwards, it's really a head game. The the first week, I, I remember waking up from surgery and the first meal I had was, I must have had seven or eight different things on my plate at the hospital. Jelly, broth, yogurt, a bunch of other things, and all you can eat for the first week is fluids. And I remember looking at everything and just went, oh, this is amazing. Like, I'm just going to have a bit of ice cream, have a bit of custard, no worries. I had two or three tablespoons of broth and I was full. And I remember being shocked, just going, how do I, I, like, how do you leave that there and waste it? Mm. Especially given my, you know, sustainability hobby on the side. Like, Mm. how how do, like, that's wastage. I'm supposed to eat all of that food. But I literally could not get it in. Mm. I was feeling nauseous trying to get it in. Mm. Um, I have a similar mindset to you as well because I'm sort of that 10 years older. So I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in Live Aid and Ethiopia and, you know, We Are The World and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, our message was there are kids in Africa that would, you know, that are starving. You need to finish your food. And so I would finish my food. Yep. And still to this day... I will finish my plate. Yep. It will jam it into my face. Yep. And if somebody leaves what I deem a substantial amount of food that I like, yep. probably more particularly, but you know, if you leave half a chicken breast on your floor, that needs to be eaten. Yeah. They can't stay there. That's there's right. kids in Africa, man. They're, they're starving. Oh. Right. Generational gap aside, I still say that to my nine-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like zucchini? That's fine. I will ship it. But it was in it was in our face. That was the thing. It was yeah. all. I mean, you know, it was pre everything. Yeah, so it was you know three TV channels and the truth. But um, it was it was in our face. It was everywhere. Yeah, you know, it was a huge thing in the world in the eighties, Live Aid and and all that sort of stuff. So it was, and it was in my memory one of the first times that we really became aware of all that stuff. So, like I said, psychologically, I can't break that habit now. I'm conditioned. Yeah, and I, I actually I can because everyone in my family goes, "No, Dad, you don't need it." Yeah. No, you don't have, don't leave it on the plate. But it's establishing the physical hunger from the head hunger. Yeah, yeah. And the first few weeks after surgery, that was the biggest shock to me because one of the benefits of surgery is that they remove your hunger hormone. So I went four weeks not feeling hungry. So that part of, that's, that's a part of the stomach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The ghrelin hormone 
gets cut out. Right. And I remember being so excited because I, if there's a definition of hangry, it's Cara. Yeah. <laughs> Jason said he's never understood what that meant until he met me. So <laughs> I was looking forward to having this new leash on life and not having hangry anymore. Yeah. Um, it's back now and I'm only nine weeks post-op, which is a little bit disappointing, but I'm learning to understand the difference between eating because it's dinner time and I think I'm supposed to eat yeah. and am I actually hungry yeah. and differentiating the two. And it's still a daily battle every, every day. To really understand, hang on, what have I eaten today? Am I actually hungry or am I just bored? Yeah. And I can still see it the days I work from home, I'll eat twice as much as the days I work in the office. Yeah. Just out of boredom and habit. Yeah. 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 COVID was killer. Oh. Oh, mate. Yeah. Unfettered access to the, te- to the pantry. Oh. It was amazing. Look, I mean, especially yeah. knowing I had gastric sleeve surgery coming. Oh, you name it, I ate it. Yeah. I was well, like, gonna, this is the last it. meal. We're going to enjoy it now. <laughs> <laughs> I might never get to do this again. That's right. I, last supper, I had Krispy Kremes and Thai food. And we had a celebratory funeral food, dinner yeah. where I was never going to be able to eat real food again, which was, in hindsight, it was ridiculous. But at the time, you have to go through it as the process of grieving that you're leaving that part of your old self behind. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting, isn't it? It's, it's, um, it's, I heard this really great quote one time, and this is how much I love food. I watch documentaries about food. Welcome to my house. <laughs> there is, I don't know that it's on any of the platforms, but I, 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 you can find it. I think it was maybe a Discovery Channel thing. It's called Eat, the Story of Food, right? And there's a um, there's a, six episodes, and they devote to different things, but one is junk food, right? Yep. And the quote goes, and I'm paraphrasing this because I can never quite remember the, the the quote goes, the problem with food nowadays is food is designed to sustain us, not to entertain us. Yep. And, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. We treat it as something to, you know, we've got to have the yummiest, we've got to have the nicest, we've got to have the most decadent, yep. we've got to have the, the tastiest, whereas really what food is for is to fuel our bodies. Yep. That's all it is. We should be eating more plant-based stuff. We should be eating more natural stuff. We should, yep. as they say, eat from the outside of the supermarket, not the inside of the supermarket. Yep. You know, um, you know, i.e. go around the outside edges of the supermarket where the fruit and the meat and the not processed stuff is, yep. not the chips and the chocolates in the middle aisles. And um, <clears throat> I think we've gotten away from that. You yeah. Know? We've gotten away from the idea that we've, and, and again, it's a psychological thing, yep. you know, we sh- we shouldn't be eating just for the pleasure of it. Yeah. It's a pleasurable experience, but we shouldn't be eating for the pleasure of it. And there's so many cultures that, in Australian culture included, that are just designed around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just reinforced everywhere you look. And and don't even, like, look at the fast food business. Like, that whole business yeah. would cripple um, multi-multi-million dollars across yeah. the world if people actually got hold of that notion that food's for sus- sustenance rather than... Well, again, it was this um, this series where they talk about the fact that humans as a species crave sugar, salt, and fat. Yep. Right? Um, sugar for the, the energy and the calories, um, salt for its, you know, water retention and muscles and things like that, and fat for, um, like, oiling joints and things like that. Sugar, salt, fat. That's what we want. It's all we want. And every fast food in the world is sugar, salt, and fat. Yeah. And the problem is, this is the other problem, and you'll understand this, the human body is designed to eat as much food as it can every time it has access to food. 
because we're still programmed to think, okay, uh, there's a dead animal we've just killed. Uh, it took us a long time to do that. Might not happen again for a couple of days. Eat as much of it as you can eat. Fill up because you might not get more. Yep. But now, you know, I could leave here this afternoon, <laughs> drive through what I like to call the Las Vegas of fast food <laughs> here, in, here in beautiful downtown southwestern Sydney. Yes. And uh, and I, I'm always amazed by the fact that I drive past McDonald's at 10 o'clock at night and there's 10 people in the, in the drive-thru. Yep. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why do you need to eat that food at 10 o'clock at night? But we can access it. We don't yeah. need to hunt it anymore. It's there. And the other thing they talk about is a thing called optimal th- foraging theory. We want the highest calorie food we can find and we want it to be as easy as possible to get. Yep. Um, and that's a built-in instinct that we just can't fight. Yep. So you think about it when you're driving home and you go, I've got to cook dinner tonight. Oh, no, too hard. Yep. Oh, there's a, there's a fast food restaurant. Let's go there. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I had a foray uh, two, two, three years ago now into the keto, the ketogenic oh, diet. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um. And that just going off what you're saying about, you know, high quality and, and but easy to access. Mm. And that was ultimately why I fell off that wagon was mm. because um, I had excellent results. I was yep. really enjoyed the food because you can have avocado every single day and yep. that's okay. You can have cheese and yeah. coconut oil and all the good fats yeah. um, that make everything taste good. You know, so who wants to be on a bacon diet? Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> No problem every day of the week, but it was expensive to commit to and it's not easy. I can't just walk into a restaurant and go, okay, I'm going to have something that's keto tonight. Everything comes with a side of complex carbs that, um, and you can just, you know, yeah, you can do like back in the day Atkins and not eat the bun, but what's the fun in that? Like how many times do you want to do that? Yeah. You don't feel like a real contributing human of society when you're picking the buns off and not eating the bread and naked hamburgers are the work of the devil. Don't, no. don't put lettuce leaves in. Front no, front. no, no. Just give up. No, don't do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a sin. Yeah. Or the, look, I, and this is, and that was another contrib- contributor to my decision to have the sleeve because I was like, well, if I can't control the food that goes into my mouth, at least this will help me control the quantity. Yeah. So I can still have. Uh, my Mexican food, and I just have one burrito instead of six or seven. You're doing six? Or, you're doing better than me. Six <laughs> or seven burritos? Ah, oh, oh, no out. problem. I, for, for the last fifteen, twenty years, as long as I can remember, I will have no problem sitting down to a thick crust pizza and a six pack and eat it before whoever, whoever oh, yeah, I was seeing oh, yeah, was. Yeah, I can do a large pizza, mate. The people, we had a pizza party a while back, and everyone's going like, "Well, where are you getting so many pizzas from?" Like, because I'm here and I'm have one. Yes. And there's 10 of us. Yeah, it, it always blows my mind when people do that. And they're like, oh, we're just going to share. And I'm like, no, no, no. Get your own food. Or my favorite when people go, that's a big meal. And you go. It's really not. In whose mind? <laughs> I had. I remember having one of my dad's friends challenge me to the, um, back in the day, they had the ribs and rumps, man of war. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. I've done the one kilo steak never again. Well, I couldn't quite get the one kilo steak. I think we were doing, uh, actually it was schnitzel at one of the, like a Euro house or something in the city. And he said to me, there's no way you'll you'll back up 750 grams of chicken. I was like, watch me. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. No problem. And he just looked at me and went. Bring me a pretzel while you're at it. <laughs> yeah. You're 22 years old. You just ate most of the men around this table under the table. I was like, damn straight. 
And I will back that up with beer. Let's go. But it, it kind of comes back to why I'm actually doing this. And at that time, I was seeking approval from people that yeah, I didn't yeah, need it from. Yeah. It was um, it was self-destruction in a whole different way to what I'd done previously. Yeah. yeah. I um, <clears throat> Yeah, and that, and that was, I guess, my next question. You ever kind of actually work out where that comes from? And, you know, because there's lots of theories why we gain weight. Mm. And, you know, some people say it's a self-protection thing. For me, I, I've kind of f- figured out that I always equated size and strength. Like I saw those as big qualities. And yeah. I, I had a grandfather who was like you know, six foot tall and 110 kilos all my life. He's just a big, strong man. Yeah. So that was who I wanted to be like, you know. And yep. so that's what I aimed for. I was happy when I was over 100 kilos. I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm like par now. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm six foot and I'm 100 kilos. Um, but I just, I don't think I've been under 100 kilos in my adult life. I just haven't. Like, yeah. I wouldn't know what that looks like. I look at people, you know those height weight charts where they go like, you know, your recommended weight is between 68 and 83 kilos. What the hell does 68 kilos look like? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> my surgeon had this conversation with me and he said, oh, your optimum BMI is like 75. I was like, Sweetheart, that was at least prepubescent, and you probably got to take out some bones <laughs> before I'm going to get anywhere well, near that. I was 72 kilos at 13. Yeah. <laughs> like, like where, where, where's it? Yeah, where's it? What am I going to do yep. with that? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that you established that the weight and the height thing and it sort of equaled strength yeah. for you, um, because I've suffered all my life with putting my father on a pedestal yeah. and my dad's six foot five. He's built like a unit, yeah. you know, and I'm just over six foot myself. So I think, well, yeah. if he can put away that much food, well, yeah. I can, I can back it up and at least do what, you know, my bit yeah. so that I can be, um, um, probably, probably not strong, probably going more for the control, power, intimidation, those sorts of things, that, yeah. you know, and I, I'm lucky that I'm six foot and I can carry it off. If yeah. I ate the food I ate and I was five foot nothing, I'd be hey, a roly poly. I reckon that's the other danger as well. Hey, like you convince yourself, you go because people go, you, you, you just you're a big guy though. You need to be a bit bigger. And after a while, that message actually stays in. You go, absolutely, yeah, you're right. I'm a big guy. I do need to be a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah no, no. Oh, you look great. No, look, you're a tall person and you've got curves. You're okay. Yep. And they go, yeah. And you go, yeah, yeah I am that person. Yeah, I am yeah. okay. Yeah. And, I, and I'm okay with my curves and I'm okay with my height, which is interesting because I know a lot of people who are not okay with it, especially women who are over six foot. Yeah. And it's um, something that they really struggle with. But I absolutely identify with that, being able to go, oh, yeah, no, I'm a bigger person. I'm supposed to eat more. I'm supposed to, it's It's okay. Yeah. Society has deemed that it's okay that I live my life this way. Yeah. Did you ever find it became like, yeah, like in, in alignment that, that just became party personality? Absolutely. So like, so like uh, my nickname playing rugby was Big Ads and a lot of people will still call me Big Ads and it's, if I ever sign into a game, it's I sign in as Big Ads, if yep. I, you know, whatever. And that became, I'm Big Ads. Yep. I'm not medium size ads. I'm not kind of slightly bigger than average ads. Yep. I'm Big Ads and yep. I've got to be big. Yep. And it's just how it works. It go, it, for me, it really connected with my personality. I didn't get a nickname necessarily like that, but growing up as a teenager, especially, I, I always reigned with the boys. Yeah. I was one of the boys. That's why I used to, we used to watch State of Origin every year. Yeah. I'd sit down, everyone would order a pizza, including me. I'd have my six pack, they'd have theirs, and I'd just and I'd hang with the boys. Anything the boys could do, I could do better. Mm. Sort of attitude, and 
most people who know me, they know I'm outgoing, I'm loud, I'm big. And that just went along with the persona for me. So when my mental health's not doing great, people don't recognize what that is. Mm. They don't know how to deal with that. Mm. They don't understand that. You're also really good at keeping that persona up. Oh, that's taken 30 years of facade to perfect. And and it's interesting the amount of people because I've, I've see behind it. Yes. Not. As much as what you're talking about, there's still there's things here I'm sitting there going, yeah, fuck, that's got me. Yeah. Um, but um, I see behind it, and I actually say to a lot of people, I go like, yeah, you see, bruh. Yeah. But there's this little quite shy, vulnerable person sitting behind that. Yeah. You know, and and I think a lot of people just think of this is Kara. She's big. She's bold. She's yep. out there. She's loud. She's got to make a statement. Yeah. 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 And I think I've over the last sort of couple of years I've been more comfortable to not always have to fill the silence. Mm. I've been I'll quite happily go to coffee with my girlfriends and not say anything if I don't feel if I'm not feeling like I'm in the mood mm-hmm. and I just want to I just want to be silent or the world's just too noisy for me that day and I don't want to let them down by not participating and I know I'll feel better by going but I don't actually have to mm. hold the conversation which for so many years of my life I've felt that I've had to be that person. Yeah, yeah. I always say as well, I was never, and I, Bob and I did that episode on the weight loss stuff, which was partly inspired by some stuff you were posting at the time, but, and I always, and I think I might have said on that one, I was never the guy, I was never the best looking guy in the room, and I don't say that to have people go, no, no, you no, no, I was never the guy that women looked at and went, you know, I've seen that guy, um, <laughs> and I've done it to that. Jason Momoa. Yeah. There, we, Bob and I were having lunch probably a couple months back and a dude walked in and he was a stunning looking man, just stunning look. And even I'm sitting there going, oh, geez, wow. <laughs> and every woman in the place just went. And um, said, later on, Bob said something. I said, oh, the dude with the blue eyes. He goes, oh, did you see him? I said, how did I not How did you him? not? Yeah. Like, he was amazing. But so I've never been that guy. So I became the loudest guy. Yeah. I became the funniest guy. Yeah, someone said to me a while yep. back, you know, when we're in a group of, you know, a group of people in a room and, and we're at work and it's a celebratory type thing and there's always a, a, a point where there's a funny line to be had and it's usually me that's cracking the funny line. And somebody said, how do you always have the funny line? And I went, because I'm always looking for the funny line. Yeah. You know, it, I don't just, it doesn't just happen along. Everything that happens, I'm looking for the funny line. And then I find something where I go, oh, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> and it comes. And they go... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm it's kinda of like the Hulk, you know? Yeah. I'm always angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for the funny line. Yeah. I'm never not that guy. Yeah. Um And I'm a little bit like that, I guess, um, probably to some people's annoyance. I'm a little bit um optimistic. Yeah. Forever optimistic. I'm yeah. not I'm definitely not always the peppy. but we've got I've you and I would have friends that always on and I'm not that person but I wonder if I went back pre if I if I had a, a you know inverted commas normal childhood mm. no no abuse and trauma my parents didn't get divorced traumatically blah blah didn't lose my brother I wonder if I would ha- be so loud and boisterous all the time mm. I wonder if I would just be a little bit more mellow and be happy with that mm. um and that's all part of the facade. Mm. You know what I mean? I know that it, it especially intensified after my parents divorced when I was 13. Going into your teen years is hard enough as it is. Yeah. But 
you know, having parents that are split and all the trauma that goes through that. Well, instead of having to actually deal with that, I'll just pretend everything's okay and be this big, huge personality. Mm. People look at that then instead of what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is such a typical story um, oh, for so many people. Oh, 100%. But it's the people, I guess, and that's, you know, the people that are closest to you who can see behind the facade, like you said. Yeah, yeah. I love the, the, the example I always use is the Wayne Schwoss example, which is, um, you know, we've got windows, you know. We've got windows that we let people look through. And there's rooms in everybody's house that are messy. But what we do is keep a couple of rooms clean and we open those windows. Yep. And that's the windows that people see. Yep. And we desperately try and keep all those other blinds closed. Yep. Because if people see those other things, they'll see all the mess and they'll see all the, the you know, yep. all the other stuff behind it. And you just go, no, nah, this is what I want you to see. But that's also partly partly a self-preservation thing, but it's also um, because that's what society's not ready to deal with the messy windows. No, nah, no. They're not ready to listen to that. what that looks like. Well, it's like I said to you as we were getting ready for this, it is... You 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 choose the people that are ready for the messy windows. Not yeah. everyone's ready, and and rightly so. Not everyone needs to be ready for your messy windows. Like they're just, a, they, I don't think they should be. Yeah. Should be expected to be even. Yeah. But you know, there's occasionally you go, all right, you've seen the really nice clean room. Come here, I'll show you the junk room. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. here, I'll show you the garage. It looks really shitty. Come here, I'll show you the you know this yeah. part. You know, we always like always close the bedroom door. No, no, you can come and have a look at that one. That's, yeah, that's really nasty. And so it's it's kind of that thing where it's like, well, you know, I'm going to let you choose which I'm going to I'm going to choose which windows I let you see through. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, over the last, or probably over the, especially the last couple of years, and, and definitely the last twelve months, it's been about not being so ashamed of those windows anymore, mm-hmm. and being a little bit. I'm definitely not plastering my mental health everywhere for everyone to understand or or judge, but it's about being a little bit more open and honest and going, actually, I'm not coping and this is what that looks like. Mm. Um, I find that people saying that they're not coping is becoming a little bit of a just a catchphrase and they go, oh, okay, is there anything I can do? No. And it's almost like the trivialness of Are You Okay Day when everyone gets that one day a year and asks mm. the question and then nothing further happens with it. Yeah. Um, it's about actually painting the picture of what does it look like for me to not be okay? Yeah. Um, and, and how do I, how can you know that I'm not okay and what do I need you to do about it right. and actually understanding that for myself. And I had this conversation recently with an employer and I, they said, right, you said you've got an anxiety condition. What does that look like for me? How can we actually make that? How can I support you when that happens? Yeah. And that's confronting to go, oh, I'm someone that needs support. I'm actually someone who I have yeah. to think about what that looks like. What does it look like when I'm okay, when I'm not okay? Yeah. Um, and build my and be responsible and build my own structures of support around that. Um, it's not just making the declaration; it's that next step. So, what do the structures look like for me? So, for me, when I'm not well, um, I have increased absenteeism. Hmm. My favourite excuse is a migraine because you can't prove that to anyone. Gastro. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. no, no one, one wants to know. No about one wants to question that shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do suffer migraines yeah. uh, anyway, but they become far more frequent yeah. when I'm not when I'm not doing so well, and I and I start to disengage socially. Mm. I'll say I'm tired, and I'm just not. I just don't want to connect. Mm. So for me, it's around having those real conversations and taking. It's actually about taking ten minutes out of the day and going. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's actually just talk about what's going on for you. Mm. And and we may only talk about one or two things that's happening for me, but that connection I get with the other person to hear about their normalcy, for lack of a better word, mm. makes me feel better. Gives me perspective. Mm. Gi- makes me realize that I actually can do it. Mm. And it's not going to be 
so overwhelming. Mm. And that if I don't do it, that's also okay. And giving myself permission, being a type A personality, it's so hard for me to have permission to fail mm. and be, be allowed to go, you know what? I didn't achieve super mum status today and mm. that's okay because I've managed it for the last nine years most of the time. Today, we're just going to sit that one out and, that, yeah. and that's actually okay. And what does that look like? And paint that picture of... Yes, she's still clothed, she's still fed, she still has her iPad, she's still got all the privileges she normally has. I'm just not going to run myself ragged getting her to six different things today and put myself first. And that's okay. And having that permission and then not beating myself up about it because that's the next step that comes with that. It's one thing to say, um, I'm not going to, I'm going to give myself permission to not fit into this box, but it actually believing it and letting it go because otherwise that just comes with days and days of of guilt that i didn't do well enough and i have to try harder and you know what i'll just have to get up earlier and i'll just plan things differently so i accomplish more in my day i'll take an hour off work or i'll get someone else to pick pick her up or yeah yeah a fear of fear of failing um and really all the things that you're failing is your own expectation yeah people say to me um Often, and this is not to toot my own horn, but you know, you've done such a great job raising your daughter. And um, I have Jason now who he does a fantastic job helping me parent. Mm. And in my mind, I think, well, I don't know how to do it any other way. Mm. And that's not necessarily, I think, because I have high standards, it's because my trauma and conditioning won't let it be any other way. Mm. There's no other way to do it. Mm. Prime example was when I um, split with my ex. We were splitting up assets and whatnot, and I was, we were going through the court for the for the house. And um, Mum said to me, "You know, you can, you can fight to keep your house, and you can pay it off, and you can work more hours and put your child in daycare, and away you go. Or you can let the house go, and it will be sold, and then you can rent in mm. or take up housing commission. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what sort of a life do you want to live?" In the background, I knew I'm so grateful that she gave me that ultimatum, but I also knew I'd been raised that there wasn't an alternative. Mm. The alternative was you keep your house. You go 100 miles an hour. You just go 100, you just work harder. Yeah. You just work harder, you just work faster, you just work longer, whatever it takes to make those ends meet. And that's, you know, probably a generational thing and, and a cultural thing too, you know. Um, you, you just work until you're dead. I had two jobs at some points, just you just 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 to make ends meet. Don't regret it for an instant, but I don't think that the decision was as holier than thou as it was made out at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more a yeah a result of conditioning. I've just got to do it. I've just got to do it. What there is no other choice. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up. You know, as um, I grew up as a kid, the uh, when I get ninety eight percent in an exam, well, the answer was not. Well done, Kahara. You got ninety-eight. It was why didn't you get a hundred? Mm. Well, because it's impossible to get a hundred mm. most of the time because it comes down to opinion and whether or not the teacher likes you. But that constant um, degradation it, that you're just never not good enough. So if I didn't buy the house, if I didn't do a hundred things for my child, I'm just not good enough. You failed. I failed. I'm not use. I'm not. I don't have any use. Mm. You know what? What's my purpose here? Mm. And that was kind of where I got to. I guess. Last year when I really got to that breaking point where I just went, well, I got to the wedding. I'm now a wife, but I can't have a baby right now. Mm. I failed. Mm, mm. Like that's in my head. That was the pigeon holes that I was working with and yeah. they su- suddenly became round and I didn't know how to deal with that. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's that metric of success, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, what, what success? Yeah. What does it look like? Yep. Um, you know, example, the recently, just a few days ago, it was the anniversary of the death of Danny Frawley, the former St Kilda player. And, um, you know, one of the things he was taught, uh, there's a podcast with him where he's actually talking to someone about his mental health. And he says, you know, I, I failed because I didn't win a premiership as a football player. And the person talking to him says, but mate, you played over 200 games. You know, like, do you know, yeah. only, only 14% of people that ever play AFL football ever played 200 plus games. You played 200 plus games. You're a legend of your club, you know. There's kids out there that kill to play one game. Yeah. You know, you were successful. He goes, yeah, I know, but, you know, I wasn't successful enough. Yeah. But I'm now telling myself that it's okay. Yeah. What I did was actually fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. Just because I didn't do that, because there's also hundreds of players that don't win a premiership, it's okay to not be successful. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Just that pressure that we put on ourselves. It's really, I like to bring it back to that philosophy. It's not about the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. But you, to really understand that and buy into it, and I'm not there yet, mm. it takes it takes a lot to really, truly understand, especially for someone like me. Like I've spent my whole career ladder climbing, back-to-back um, qualifications, trying to be better and better and better. And it's actually about just accepting that, what is it that makes you happy and that's enough? But all of those things also are high-functioning anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is you. I mean, that's you. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Got to, got to prove myself. Got to be the best. Got to be. Got to, yep. got, to, got to show them. Can't show them. If they see the weakness, they're going to think I'm weak. They might even try and exploit it. They will definitely won't like me. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And I think the last two years I've really had an epiphany about how much of my self-worth is based on what other people think. Yeah. And... I don't have the answer for how to navigate that yet, but that's it's it's far bigger than what people give credit to. Yeah. So before we go, the other things that you do, because there is one really interesting thing that you do to manage your mental health. <laughs> I'm scared where you're going with this. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> give me a K. Give me an A. <laughs> give me an R. Give me an E. <laughs> yes, my competitive cheerleading. Do you know... How many strange looks I get. I was having a conversation with my dietitian today and she's like, oh, so you're doing any exercise? And I went, oh, yeah, well, you know. And I have to say competitive cheerleading because otherwise people look at you and go, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> I'm and sexy. I'm cute. Popular <laughs> to And I've got blonde pigtails. <laughs> I'm bitching. Great hair. <laughs> That's exactly what comes to mind. But when I actually got introduced to cheer, I learned very quickly how much it's about strength and stamina and it's it's a team sport like I've never had I've never done before. Um, you really are somebody's pillar of strength. And there are other women who are in my team who don't necessarily have. They we all have our own challenges and all have our own mental health battles. If they can go, why can't I go? Mm. And and if I'm not there, I've seen because uh, I selfishly chose to have surgery in the middle of cheer season. So I've seen what happens. They can't train. They can't like the team really stops functioning, and it's so uh, validating to know that you're part of something like that. As well as building strength and inadvertent cardio, and everyone has an absolute ball connection with other women. Other yeah. People. yeah, and they're not people that I would normally pick. And and I'm th- I'm 34, and I'm about average for yeah. age on my team. And most people, it's so un- not well known. And I'm one of those people. I used to think, oh, cheerleaders, you know, stereotype dancers, mm. pom-poms, mm. got to be like uni- university age. Mm. And there is definitely that culture out there. But 
um, half the team that I'm in are all older than me. They mm. all have more children than me. Some mm. of them have grandchildren. And it's they're in it for the same reasons. They're in it for that connection, sport, fun, you know. Um, and it's not as girly and prissy as what they make it out to be. Mm. There really is a strength and stamina element that comes to it. Yeah, we get to, you know, put on hair bows and some nice makeup. And don't worry, I'm so thrilled about being able to wear the the uniform. Mm-hmm. So, um, which will come with its own self-esteem. But it's just, um, it's something I never imagined myself doing. And now I'm in it, I can't imagine not doing it. Mm. Yeah, it was, it's an odd choice. Like, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not, it's, you know, oh, what are you going to do to, you know, oh, I'm going to do boot camp or I'm going to, you know, go and join the F45 or CrossFit or something like that. What do you do? I competitively cheerlead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then having said that, it's you. <laughs> like, it, yeah. It is, here's the middle and here's Kara, just left yeah. of the middle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Before we go, what you go to? Managing your mental health, you're having a shit day. What's your go-to? What's your and positive? Don't say I drink seven bottles of wine. <laughs> what, what's your What's your one thing you go? Yeah, this is the thing I do to manage my mental health. This is what I think is really important to me. Um, I so I do the I probably the music. That's mm. probably my biggest go-to. I pick a playlist that really suits my um, mood. My mood. Um, but outside of that, again, a little bit left field. I've really gotten into over over COVID those paint art box kits yeah so i'll pull out an art box no everyone knows they're not allowed to talk to me and it just it's kind of it's like coloring in it's mind numbing you follow the instructions you put the paint on the paper where it says i'm not a i'm no picasso but it's two hours i have to really concentrate because i know i want to do it well whatever mistakes i make is i just let that happen but painting is something that i know it's two hours i just zone out i'm not going to get interrupted and i have to concentrate on Something that's not in my head. It's almost meditative practice. Kind Absolutely. Of thing for two hours. Yep. Mm. It's pretty good. That's it. That it's was easy, wasn't it? Far easier than I expected. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favours? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast and, of course, please share this podcast. Um, The reviews help us to uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about and, of course, the sharing helps us to get our message out there. We don't have any money, so we're really relying on uh, social media to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you loves mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please Go and see your GP, or of course you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Men's Line Australia on 1300 
9978, Lifeline on 13 11 14, or of course the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.